Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Carrie Sprancy is a stage four colon cancer survivor who uses her experience to teach others how to be more resilient through the joy of moving on. She uses grace and humor to make you laugh, cry, and cry laugh about the absurdities of life and feel inspired to find your Jomo. And I can't wait for her to talk more about that. But first, we're going to have her share her story Thank you so much, Carrie, for coming on today. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here and talk about everything, and hopefully it helps. (laughs) Well, I just, I love your bio, and we're going to dig into more about what you do, but joy is one of my core values. So I really appreciate the way you seem to approach things. Um, Tell us a little bit about who you are Be sure to mention where you're living now and take us back to the beginning of that cancer journey. Yeah, so um, I am a native Salt Lake City. Uh, I grew up in Salt Lake City and I currently now live in Amsterdam. And um, people always ask, wow, what brought you to Amsterdam? And um, I get to say the the rom-com answer of love, love brought me to Amsterdam, (laughs) which is so great. But um, Yeah, I used to be um, a sales rep for 15 years for an international architectural resin company. And my now husband was doing the same, but for uh, the Netherlands, Belgium and Luxembourg. And so we met in the totally, again, rom-com way at a sales conference in the US (laughs) and hit it off and did a long distance thing for about two years. And then I got my cancer diagnosis. So we fought that together in the States. And at the end of that, I was like, I'm not letting another minute go by. I'm moving. So I sold everything I owned and moved over to Amsterdam. And a year after that, we got married. And so far, so good. Oh, I just got chills. I feel like that's a whole nother episode. Oh my goodness. I love it. I love it. Um, Well, tell us like, how did that diagnosis come about? Did you have symptoms? Like take us there. And and also when was that? Yeah. About four years ago? Yeah, it was in 2017. And you know, my story is maybe a little different, but maybe not. Right. And so um, I had no symptoms actually. So I it's so it's so crazy because I had mentioned that my my now husband we when we were dating we were doing this long distance thing so we had this habit of having sort of FaceTime lunch dinner together I would be eating lunch he would be having dinner because their eight Amsterdam is eight hours ahead of of Utah Salt Lake City where I was living and we would do that over FaceTime we'd catch up and then I would finish the rest of my day and he would head off to bed. And so um, in January of 2017, we're having this FaceTime dinner lunch. And I I had woken up that morning feeling perfectly fine. Went to 6 a.m. yoga as I did, you know, four times a week. I'm a big proponent of health. It's always been something that I've been really into. So exercising and movement is just something that I do it for my mental health and otherwise. And so getting up and going to 6 a.m. yoga was just 
part of my routine, at least three or four days a week, if not more on mornings that I was actually teaching the class. And so I woke up, went to 6am yoga, was feeling fine. My husband and I, boyfriend at the time, are having our, our FaceTime dinner lunch. And I say, gosh, I don't feel super great. Like I kind of have an upset stomach. Now it's worth mentioning that for like 10 years prior to that, I kind of had this like, the best way to describe it would be sort of like mild IBS. I would get these like mild belly aches, sometimes constipation, but I just kind of chalked it up to like, you know, I don't know what. And in fact, about 10 years before this, so that would have been roughly 2007, 2008, um, it was really bad. And my partner at that time said, hey, maybe you should just go get checked. Maybe you've got an ulcer or something. Like, just let's let's just go get it checked. So I did, like front, front and back. You know, I had, I was checked both directions and they found nothing. So at that time you had an endoscopy and colonoscopy. Yes. Yeah. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. All right. I had nothing. And so, um, they just said, you have a really large colon. And I was like, okay, I don't know. <laughs> Great. I guess whatever that means, but not, but nothing else. Right. And so now fast forward, this is January, 2017. I'm saying, oh, I don't really feel well. But I had some client appointments. And so I said, well, I'll just go do these few things. And then I should be home by like three. And then I'll relax and lay down. And probably it will go away because it it usually did. Well, this day, it did not. So by three o'clock, by two o'clock, I'm in my last client appointment. And I am in tremendous pain. It's, I'm starting to have trouble breathing. My belly is starting to bloat. I have no idea what's going on. I pack up all of my stuff and, and it's January in Salt Lake City. So we had just had this huge snowstorm. So I'm driving myself home. I'm in so much pain. I can hardly stand up straight. I'm breathing super shallow. I call my boyfriend on the other side of the world because that's who you call the person you love. So I call him. I can't even remember if I woke him up or not. But anyways, I'm describing to him what's happening. And he's, of course, on WebMD, you know, typing in all of my (laughs) symptoms. And he's like, I think your appendix has burst. You need to go to the hospital. So I hang up with him. I call my father. And he takes me to the emergency room. The emergency room can't see anything. They do a couple of ultrasounds and they say, well, we see this mass on your left ovary. And then there's all this like fluid in your abdomen. We think you're actually constipated. So here's some laxatives and pain meds and call your OB in the morning. And they send me home at like 10 o'clock at or 11 o'clock at night at this point. All the pharmacies are closed. So in fact, the only 24-hour pharmacy, my son and his girlfriend had come to pick me up. The only 24-hour pharmacy we could find was like 15 minutes away or 20 minutes away from our house. Again, winter, night, snowstorm, all this crazy stuff. Anyways, I'm I'm like, I'm not constipated. I know that that's not what it is. So I don't take the laxatives, but I'm taking these heavy duty pain meds like every two hours just to sustain, right? Well, I call my doctor the next day. He takes a look at me, says, I cannot figure out what it is. We need to go in and look laparoscopically. You know, I meet him at the hospital. He says, it'll be an hour. You'll just have three little tiny incisions and then we'll know what to do. Well, when I wake up, it's five hours later, and I have staples from my navel to my pubic bone and a colostomy bag, and I lose my mind. I I, I literally oh. went into shock. Oh. It was so 
shocking. The whole, the whole thing. I, I just, my son, I'm, I'm just like, I couldn't breathe. My son runs over and grabs me. He's like 23 at the time. He grabs my hand and he's, you know, mom, mom, I've got you. I've got you. You're going to be okay. They saved your life. It's temporary. Well, five days later, I'm still in the hospital because they've got to make sure that my colostomy is working properly and all of this before they send me home. So I'm in the hospital room and the doctor comes in. It's just me and my sister. It's like nine o'clock in the morning and he sits down and he says, the pathology from the 12 inches of your sigmoid colon that we needed to remove came back and it is stage four colon cancer. And, and I was just like, it was literally like a scene from the movie when all you hear is that like high pitched ringing and the room goes dark. And I just sat there like not even knowing what to say. And the only words that I could get out in the quietest voice were, am I going to die? Oh. And he grabbed my hand and he was like, we are going to do everything we can to make sure that that doesn't happen. Of course, my sister's bawling, you know, and I, she's like, when the doctor leaves, she's like, okay, I'm making the calls. And my sister steps out to go call my, my whole family. And I call my boyfriend and it's nighttime for him. And, you know, it's, it's the end of his work day at this point. So I call him and I say, hey, I need you to go into your office and sit down. And I tell him and we cry. And I say, you know, please don't be alone tonight. Get one of your brothers, something. And uh, my family comes in. I'll never forget the look on my father's face when he walked into that. I mean, I'll never forget the way he walked in and looked at me. My mother had already beaten breast cancer like 10 years earlier. So and this was really tough for us. The next day, um, my then boyfriend, now husband, walked into my hospital room. He, got, he went home, packed his bags, and got on the next plane and came over. Ugh. And over that year... Prior to this happening, like I said, we'd been doing this long distance thing and we had been had kind of a, a rough rule of like every six ish weeks we would see each other. I either I would come to Amsterdam or he would come to the States. Well, I get cancer. He comes and sees me. And in that year, 18 months of me battling this disease, the longest we were apart was six weeks in that entire year. Like it was just magical. And for us, it was the thing that just solidified our entire relationship, you know, because we actually like, I mean, I will get into it as we go throughout the story, but it, we had to experience so many hard things that it, it was just, it actually was pretty magical for our relationship, which is a strange thing to say, but um, <laughs> cancer for me has been pretty magical in a lot of ways. And one of which is, is my husband now. So oh. yeah. Oh, wow. So that's how I got diagnosed. It was just a fluke. I, so the the tumor in my in my colon had perforated my colon, and why I was in so much pain and why I was getting bloated is because I was literally leaking into my abdomen. And the doctor said if I had been one hour later, I would have gone into septic septic shock and and probably died. And had I taken that laxative the night before, I absolutely would have probably died in my sleep because yeah. it would have just like you know, um, push the gas pedal on all of that. So, wow. yeah, this was really crazy. And it was one month before my 41st birthday is when that all happened. 
yeah, a month later, I turned 41. So it's crazy. You know, I'm young, healthy. It was not even on my radar. But like I said, my mom had been had survived breast cancer. So I was getting my girls smashed every couple of years just to check for that. But colon <laughs> cancer was not even on my radar at all. So oh, yeah. I'm just laughing about the girls <laughs> smashed. I love it. So it's, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, well, so you get the diagnosis, mm-hmm. your um, boyfriend shows up and, and they've already done one surgery, right? Yeah. Removed a huge chunk of your colon. Yeah. So what did they talk about in terms of treatment for you? Yeah. So what they said was um, what they had initially told me about the, col- the, the colostomy was you know, you were so infected inside there that this, this colostomy is temporary. So we'll let it heal. We'll let you heal for six weeks and then we'll reconnect you and we'll deal with whatever that thing is on your left ovary. So I was like, okay. Right. So then we get this cancer news and they say, okay, we're going to not put you back together right away. You need to start chemotherapy. So we recommend that you do 12 rounds of full Fox which is the chemotherapy that they gave me. And it'll be every other week for uh, 12 rounds. So it'll be about six months and it'll be a three day situation. You'll go in on Wednesday and you'll sit for like three or four hours in the infusion ward. And then we'll hook you up to a pump and you'll wear that for the next 46 hours. And then we'll take that pump out. You'll wait a week and you'll do that all again for 12 times. So I was like, okay. I mean, let's do it. You know, I want to beat this thing. I am not ready to go. So we do about four of those and I'm handling it fine. I I didn't, I didn't get super sick. I was a little more tired, but I wasn't super sick or super nauseous. Um, I was incredibly sensitive to cold, even room temperature water felt like I was drinking glass. It was, that was really crazy. Reaching into the refrigerator to grab anything out was just like my, it literally felt like I was shoving my hands into glass. That was really a strange side effect of this full fox, which they had said, you know, is a pretty common one to be super sensitive to cold. And mind you, this is January, right? So also what's in Utah. So also what's happening is I would walk every day with my dad. He would come to my house and we would go walk in the park near my house. And I would literally have like only my eyes showing with like this scarf around. <laughs> and, and even then sometimes that I would get so sensitive to cold, it would almost feel like I'd been at the dentist where like your mouth and your tongue and everything gets so numb that you can't, you can't really talk. Wow. Yeah, it was, was it was bizarre. But as soon as I got back into the house and warmed up, that would go away. But it was a that was strange. And so you I did have to act, be really careful because I could not really tell how hot or how cold something was, right? Because I was like so sensitive to that that I had to be careful that I didn't stay out too long or burn myself. But um but yeah, so we did those four rounds of the chemo and I was handling it pretty well, but what I was really struggling with was this um stoma, which I named him Stu. I don't know why, but I just felt like he had this own personality and that it was a he, which is weird, but my stoma was a he. And he had so his, what is a stoma? So people oh, understand. stoma. Yeah. So stoma is um, when you get a colostomy or an ileostomy, the stoma is the part of your intestines that's outside your body. And with a colostomy, and actually, yeah, with a colostomy, it's supposed to look like a little sort of mini beefsteak tomato on the outside of your body, if you can imagine that. And then you just go to the bathroom out where the stem would be. So instead of there being a green stem, that's the exit for your you know, for your body. 
So yeah, it's just like you have this little beefsteak tomato on the side of your body. And I named mine stew. Stew. Yeah. Because I could just, I don't know. I just was easier for me to be like, Stu's really being an asshole today. And like in the worst way, not in the way he's supposed to be. So, you know, I just, I made it easier to talk about. I don't know. And made it, made me laugh and made people laugh about it. Right. Because it was just was like, the whole thing was so surreal that I just, had to find these little ways to make light of it because it was so heavy, you know? It was yeah. just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. So, so I was having a lot of problems with stew. Stew was literally acting like a lava lamp. So you have a barrier. So you have this like sticker almost with a plastic ring on it. And you stick that to your body and then you have bags that clip onto that plastic ring. And that's what catches everything. And in a lot of circumstances, it's really quite handy, actually, because you just throw the bag away and clip a new one on. And that's as easy as it is, right? So when you're camping, that's awesome to be (laughs) doing it that way, you know? So anyways, um, I, I, but he was literally, my intestines were falling out of my body from the inside out. If you can imagine holding your, like pulling your, your shirt off from inside your sleeve. That's how, that's what was happening. And it would just was like a lava lamp, like I said, inside that bag. And it, it was awful. So I say, Hey, can, can we please put me back together and then I'll finish these rounds. And he, the doctor said, yeah, you know, you're doing so well. We think that's, we're comfortable with that. So let's do a scan. And as long as everything is as it was or improved, cause you've done four rounds of chemo, then we will put you back together. You'll wait six weeks for all of that to heal. And then we'll finish your, your chemotherapy. So we go and get the scan and I'm feeling fine apart from Stu doing his thing that we're, my boyfriend and I, my husband and I are sitting in the doctor's office waiting fully like, Ooh, I can't wait. Bye Stu. See you later. And all of this. <laughs> and the doctor comes in and he's like, Hmm. Yeah, so we're not going to be able to do that for you. That thing on your left ovary has grown. It's actually like tripled in size. So this is a whole nother tumor, right? This is a whole nother. Yeah, well, we don't know that it's a tumor at this point. It's just a mass. We don't know what it is. We don't know. We don't know what it is because I had been so toxic that they didn't want to biopsy it or anything in there because that would just get infected. So it was something, but what it was, we didn't know. And they were just like, that is crazy, number one, that it's doubled or tripled in size because you've had four rounds of chemo. So how is this? It's almost like it caused this sort of mutation in it or something, and it just was exponentially growing. So they said, um, you need to do 25 rounds of radiation now because we need to try to shrink this because where it is, is it's sitting against your spine and your artery to your left leg and against the, your ureter from your kidney to your bladder. And colon cancer is sticky, which means it likes to attach itself to all the surrounding tissue and organs. And where it is now, it's life-threatening if we go and try to remove it. So we need to try to shrink it. So hopefully it will pull away from those things. And then we can go in and operate and take it out and then continue on our path. So I do that. I stop the chemo. I do 25 rounds of radiation. So that is every day, Monday through Friday, every day, same time, 15 minutes for five weeks. 
And at that what point, was that like? yeah, at that point I had to, I had to quit my job. I had been trying to kind of work up until that point, but at that point I just was like, I can't anymore. So I went on the Family Medical Leave Act at that point. And, you know, my mom had gone through radiation when she had her breast cancer, and she it was awful for her. She, you know, got the really bad sort of radiation sunburn, and, and, and it, was really, it was really terrible for her. But for me, it was no big deal. Honestly, I laid there holding my amethyst mala and just, you know, trying to breathe and work on my meditation for the 10 minutes that it spun around my abdomen. And then that was it. And I never got the sunburn thing. I never got sick. It was weird. It just, it was not a big deal for me at all. And I, I'm not exactly sure why. I mean, you know, maybe the, maybe there is some truth to these crystals and amethyst and being a blocker. And maybe there is some real power to the mindset beyond just helping me stay calm. I don't know, but radiation was fine for me. But by the time radiation was done, I looked six months pregnant. That thing, that, that thing on my uh, left ovary had a, had a solid mass and then a huge fluid sac on it that was like the size of a small watermelon. Oh my goodness. It was crazy. And the doctors were like, we don't know. And the radiation didn't shrink it at all. So then what was the plan? Exactly. So then the plan is the only way is we have to operate and it is life-threatening. So get your affairs in order. So my 23-year-old son and I sat and did my will, planned my funeral, put everything in a trust. Here's Here's the passwords to all the things. Here's all the things. Here's, you know, all of that. And I made amends with people that I felt like I needed to make amends for with. I asked for forgiveness from people that I felt I I needed forgiveness from. Um, I told my friends and family how much they loved me because I did not want to leave this world without the people in my life knowing what they meant to me. And in fact, I, a few days before the surgery, I had a dream that the doctors cut me open and a yellow balloon popped out of my belly and flowed away. And that was how easy the surgery was. The next day after that dream, I went and had sort of a, a last supper with my girlfriends. And we brought yellow balloons. And we, you know, I told them this. I brought the yellow balloons because I had just had the dream. I told them about that. I gave them all letters and these little bracelets that I had made for them. And then we released the balloons. I know, sorry, turtles. I hope that no one was injured from releasing those balloons. But we released yellow balloons in the universe. It's just a way to say, you know, I hope this is the case. Yellow is the sign of friendship. So it's interesting that you did it with your girlfriends. Yeah, yeah. And also the sign of joy, which is, you know, yellow just makes me happy. It's sunshine and golden and yummy and warm and all of those things. And so... Um, then I went into the surgery and my whole family was there. My boyfriend, now husband was there as well. And they wheeled me away and I, we were all looking at each other thinking I might not ever see them again. That was awful. That was really, really awful. I wouldn't wish that experience on my worst enemy and, and having to, to do that. Obviously it turned out okay. And how long was the surgery? Oh, gosh, you know, at this point, I don't remember. I feel like the surgery was like five hours. Again, it was another long one like that. Um, And uh, but afterwards, the doctor came in when I was at coherent now and off of the off of the anesthesia. 
he came in with the biggest smile and he said, it was absolutely amazing. We cut you open and that thing just popped right out. Wow. It just wasn't, like your dream. Just like my dream. It wasn't attached wow. to anything. He was nervous that there would be quite a bit of scar tissue and all of the associated uh, tissue and um, all the associated lift nodes and tissue that he wanted to remove also. Cause I had a full, I ended up ha- getting a full hysterectomy. They just were like, do it. You know, he was afraid that he wouldn't be able to get all of that and that there would be a lot of scar tissue. None. He was like, if you had not been missing part of your intestines from the first surgery, I would have never had known that you'd had surgery before. There was zero scar tissue in there. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. It was really crazy. It was just kind of like, on the one hand, it I felt like it was just one sort of bad news after another, like, no, we can't do that because now you have to do this. And no, we can't do that because now you have to do this. But the other side of that coin is I also felt like it was miracle after miracle happening as well. It was, it was such a a crazy experience. So anyways, we, we do that surgery and they do reconnect my colostomy. So they do reconnect my large intestine, but they give me an ileostomy, which is now your small intestine coming out. And the reason they did that is because radiation had damaged my rectum a little bit. So most people have about six inches worth of storage. I have an inch and a half. So I have to go more often and more frequently <laughs> than most people do. And they wanted that, in, that, that reconnection to have time to heal without anything going past it and without it having to like stretch and all of that stuff. So that's why they gave me that ileostomy so that that reconnection would have plenty of time to heal because if I sprung a leak, I would have a bag for life because I just had no more tissue down there right. to, to keep trying to reconnect it. So it's um, like Stu Jr. is what you're this telling was me. Stu Jr. Yes, but I named her Stella, which she was a girl. I don't know why. I mean, I can't explain these things, but now the ileostomy was Stella. So I had Stella and Stu <laughs> and Stella was fine. She was fine, except for that. Um, What's really interesting, of course, is that you have to eat really differently with these two different things. In an, in tell, an, tell, talk about that for yeah, a Yeah, so with a, with a colostomy, you can pretty much eat like you normally do, right? Because it's way down in your colon. It comes out like normal solid stool. But in an ileostomy, that's your small intestine. So it's, it's always diarrhea because the water and all of those kind of nutrients are removed in your, in your large intestine. And things like tomato skins and pepper skins and mushrooms are get just slimy and sticky and they can get stuck in there. And then you are at the hospital basically getting rotorooted because you, you can't go. So you had to be really careful about what you could eat. And interesting fun fact, your body does not process or use red dye number five. Red vines were my favorite. And when I would watch them eating movies, um, watch them eating movies, eat them watching movies. It would just, the bag would be red. And that's a lot of information for you guys, but it was really interesting to watch and be like, okay, so I just rented that completely rented that. I did not, my body got nothing out of that. And I also found that I had to do some like protein type shake supplement kinds of things because it was just easier for my body to get those nutrients that way than to like eat Food. To try to, break down, food, try to yeah. break down the food. Yeah, it was just too hard. So at this point, I'm basically a vegetarian because meat is just too challenging. Fish is okay. Um, 
but I do have to be careful still with some different vegetables and, and too much fiber. Like it's been, it's still a journey four years later. I'm still trying to figure out what exactly is okay for me to eat. Cause I, I still get uh, really bad bouts of diarrhea that will keep me home for two or three days at a time. Sometimes it's not fun. I want to go back to your point about the red dye. I find that interesting because they do say when you're prepping for a colonoscopy, the things that you can, you know, drink, because of course you, you want to sort of stop eating about a day and a half before, but you can't have anything with red dye in it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I don't think I ever really knew why. Mm -hmm. I just knew you couldn't, but you just explained why. Yeah. I think it, it probably maybe gets stuck in there and then it's hard for them to tell, like, is that a lesion? Is that bleeding? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I never, I, yeah, honestly, I'd never thought about that either, but yeah, it, that, it was just interesting to just see, have a really have a front row seat to how your body processes what you put in your face. It was, it was fascinating to me, I have to say, to just like, wow, what, look at that. <laughs> so I want to take you back and ask, even though I think I might know what it is, what was your worst moment and everything? I think I would say overall, the worst part of this entire experience was in fact, when I finally did get put back together, when I finally did get rid of Stella. At that point, my intestines, the, the majority of my intestines had not worked in over 18 months. And wow. then, so then 18 months, I have not pooped like a normal human. All the bacteria that you hear about in there, I mean, sometimes you hear about these things and I was this way sometime before I got sick, I would hear like, what good bacteria, you know, a billion bacteria and different types and all of that. Like, really? Okay, well, maybe, but I don't know how much I believe that 100% I believe it because everything that was in there died. And while I say that I'm 45 now, my bowels are four. I I literally am like a four-year-old in terms of my digestive system, in terms of how much warning I get, in terms of how much control I have. I am literally like a four-year-old. Certainly the first month was pure hell. Like to the point where I said to my father, if this diarrhea does not stop, I will go back to the bag. This is no way to live. I was sleeping in the bathroom. It was literally every five minutes and I, it got to the point where I would use the toilet and then go into the shower because I could not wipe anymore. I could not touch anymore. I had more accidents in front of more people than I ever want to have in my life. Um, I mean, my son had to take care of me in a very horrendous way one time, which is never how you want. I mean, I was like, at least I wanted to be in my 90s before you'd have to clean me up like this. And I was, you know, 42. Yeah, so that I think is hands down. That is something I would not also wish on my worst enemy ever, ever, ever. It was so terrible. And it's a bit, I was going to say, I didn't really have any sort of warning or expectations of how awful it would be. But at the same time, for anyone, yourself or any of your listeners who've had children, I mean, what words could someone say to you that would prepare you for what it's like to A, experience childbirth and B, now have a baby you're supposed to be in charge of. There's right. no words that can accurate, accurately set your expectations to what that's going to be like. And that's the same with this. It just, it really was awful. And the, and the most that the hospital gave me was like, 
these foods loosen stool, these foods stiffen stool. And I'm like, I cannot eat banana. I cannot go from bananas to graham crackers to oatmeal to bananas to, it was just awful. It was, it was absolutely awful. It still is tricky. Four years later, I'm still figuring it out. Well, I just can't imagine in in addition to the emotional and physical toll, but how dehydrated were you? Oh my God. It was awful. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Um, Because there are so many post-cancer experiences that people don't talk about Mm -hmm. um, that I've heard from many people are much worse than, than the actual treatment itself. Yeah. Let's go the opposite direction. What was your best moment? Oh my goodness. My best moment, my best moment. You know, I think my best moment overall was just the rallying around that my family and my my boyfriend, my husband gave. They, in fact, even the hospital staff said that they wished because every night my family would. This is of course pre-corona, thank heavens, right? So they could come and visit me. Actually, I cannot imagine doing having this happen to me now, where no one is allowed to be in the room with me. It, I just cannot imagine. That is a different type of resilience that people need to to get through it like that. Fortunately, my family would would come up every night at the end of their workday and whatever and hang out in my room and they'd bring takeaway and they'd bring a puzzle or a game and they'd sit and play and laugh and I'd just be in my bed, you know, sitting up laughing and and guessing charades and just having a good time, which is what my family is like and and every one of the nurses would come in and say, "We wish all of our patients had this type of support, this type of network around them because it just helps their healing so much. And we, the nurses, love hearing your family laughing and having a good time in the hallway. It just brings such joy and life to this floor where people are really going through some hard things, you know? Yeah. So I think when I think back on that journey, those are the things that I remember that really make me smile and make me laugh. It's, it's, those are the memories I'm taking away from it is the silliness of (laughs) people around me. Yeah. And what is one thing you wish you had known at the beginning of your cancer journey? I wish that I had known that I had more choice in maybe not taking the full cocktail because I've talked to other colon cancer um, survivors who didn't do the full full fox. They only did the 5-FU and not the other one that's in that cocktail, I can't remember the name of it now. It starts with a C, but it's kind of the more nasty one. And, you know, I guess I just wish that I had maybe tried to do some like more naturopathic ways. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know, I didn't want to die. So I just did what the doctor said, you know, and I think if I if it were to come back again, and God forbid it does, I don't in my heart feel like it will, but should it, I think I will try to do a more holistic approach because chemo is rough. My fingertips four years later, not my, my hands have recovered, but my feet are still a little bit numb from that chemotherapy, that um, neuropathy way down there in my feet is still there four years later. And I just think like, well, if I could have avoided that maybe, but yeah, if for, you know, for me, it just came so out of the blue and just like, there was really no time to prepare. There was no like, Hey, we found this. These are your choices. You know, sometimes people kind of get a warning and you can then choose your path, but it was almost like, um, 
triage for me because of how it came on and how everything was just discovering it was just sort of like this has to happen now there's not really time to yeah think about what's going you. on yeah. yeah yeah it was really fast even though you live in Amsterdam mm -hmm. now <laughs> you are an American yes. and you did all your treatment in Salt Lake City so what is one thing that you would do to improve health care in the U.S. and I mean, what would that thing be? You can only get one and why? I'm going to, ch I'll choose this one. The colon, the, it, there, it requires a lot of supplies to have an, a colostomy or an ileostomy. Right. It, and, and for people who have that lifelong, it, it's a, it is a lot of supplies and it can be very costly. And what I discovered is that my insurance would pay for enough bags for a month. Well, okay, so you think that a month is 30 days, right? Or they would, maybe, I think they would give me a three-month supply at once, but just to make the math easy, a month, right? 30 days. So a month is 30 days. Well, ideally, you could just use one bag a day, but not all the time. And with a, with a colostomy, you could open the bottom, shake it out, roll the bottom back up, and you could use one bag a day. But with an ileostomy, it's, it's diarrhea. So they're, they're closed bags. And you had to change it sometimes a couple of times a day. Well, a month supply of colostomy and ileostomy bags was 25. Like, I'm like, what? You don't poop on the weekends? What are you doing? <laughs> oh, my gosh, really? Yeah. So then I would run out and then I would have to contact my doctor and they would have to write a prescription. And then I would have to send that into the colostomy supply people so that then they could send me extra bags. And that whole thing was just like, come on. I, I'm already dealing with so much to have to, to force me to have to one manage like, Ooh, how many bags do I have left? Can I throw this one away? Do I need to wash it out? Like, come on a 30 day supply, even 30 bags for a 30 day supply is like, that's kind of pushing it. Come on. I mean, you're a human, you know, how many times you go to the toilet in a day. So that, that would be the one thing is that I just, I feel like the administrators who are writing these insurance plans and, and who are creating what's going to get covered and, and how and, and the amounts and all of that have either never experienced it themselves or have been a, a caregiver or a support system to someone who's experienced it. They're just like, oh, 30 days, that should be fine. It's just like, you've never had to, a bag taped to your belly that you're pooping into. Like, ask someone. They'll help you write, like, what's appropriate for this what a real life experience is. So that's, that's what I would change is to have more input from people who have actually gone through it to help the process, the recommendations, the supplies, all of that just move more smoothly so that it's one less stress for people who are going through these things. We've got enough on our plates. Patient-centered policies. Absolutely. I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire questions? Let's have it. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> beach, desert, or mountains? Mountains. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Ooh, I thought about that. Beach Boys and James Taylor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. I'm right there with you. Uh, what is one word that best describes you? Joyful. And before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Oh my goodness. I want to hear um, You'll Be in My Heart from Phil Collins that he plays in that tar in the Tarzan Disney movie. 
I love Every it. Every time oh. I hear it, I cry. It makes me think of my son. I used to sing it to him when he was little and still I cry. So that would be the song. Aww. Yeah. And what's the last meal you want to eat? Real, authentic Mexican food because you cannot get it here in Amsterdam and I'm dying <laughs> for it. <laughs> Um, and the last person you want to see? The last person I want to see. Oh, that would be hard. But if I had to only pick one, my son. And the last words you will speak. I love you. Aww. And aside from Cancer You, what is one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And this is a good time to talk about what you do. Well, a good source I would recommend would be me, of course. I uh... <laughs> I, I, off, I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching um, for anyone who's been going through this type of thing. And, and we really work on getting rid of the self-doubt and fear and overwhelm so that you can find the bright, joyful spots in your life and so that you can start to see these things that happen to us instead of setbacks as springboards and we can turn your failures into fuel. So that I would definitely recommend um, reaching out to me if um, my story has resonated with any of your listeners and my personality as well. But the other thing that I would say that really helped me through my journey was using either Headspace or Calm, the meditation apps. Interesting. Okay, talk about that. Yeah. I don't think anyone said that before, and I, I'm familiar with them. So please tell us how you use them. So I, um, throughout my cancer journey, I would meditate every morning. Um, it just helped me stay calm. And then, and, and they have such wonderful series that you can do about healing, about wellness. Meditation helped me envision this tumor that was on my left ovary at this point as my body's way of collecting all of the dis-ease in one spot. And then I could just focus all my energy there. I would imagine like these little yellow golden beam lights shooting at that thing, trying to dissolve it. So meditation was really helpful for me in that way. But it was also helpful for me when I was waiting in the doctor's office for the news to just connect to breath and to stay calm. It was helpful. It taught me how to not fall into the rabbit hole of fear and worry because I can spend my time being fearful and worrying, but it's not going to change the situation at all. It is going to rob me of what is happening right now in front of me. So it was incredibly helpful for that. And it was just helpful whenever I was, I still do it today when I'm going to get a shot or I have to get my follow-up CT scan to just be able to be calm and to breathe and to just move through that instead of um, be so nervous and fearful. So that, that would be my, my recommendation for sure. And if someone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Yeah. So they can reach out to me through my website, which is carryoncoaching.com. Like my first, spelled like my first name, K-A-R-E-Y. So carryoncoaching.com. Or they can find me on Instagram at carry underscore on underscore coaching again, spelled like my first name. And I'm also on Clubhouse at Carry On Coaching. So for any of your listeners, um, Clubhouse is kind of a new thing. And if they're on there, I'm, I host three rooms a week. And so they can find me there and interact and chat with me there. Three rooms a week. I wow. Know. That's that's quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Carrie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story today and being especially vulnerable. I really appreciate it. It has been my pleasure. Thank you for letting me share my story. I feel like every time I share my story, 
it it adds more depth and meaning and a, and a reason why I had it. It makes it worthwhile to have gone through it. So thank you for giving me this opportunity. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.